my family and I moved to Surprise a little less than 20 years ago. There was around 17,000 people that lived in Surprise. Now, there's over 125,000 people that live here. It's been an amazing thing to witness when we were when we first moved here, right where I'm driving now, was just all orange orchards and, and open fields. And now there's houses and stores and people, people everywhere. People that God loves dearly. People that he sent his only son to die for. But so many people that are, that are lost and looking for answers looking for answers that can only be found in Jesus, that only can be found in the truth that he has entrusted us with. I believe that God is ready to do a a great work in surprise. I believe that he desires to, to move mightily in this city, and he has uniquely positioned Calvary Chapel Surprise right in the middle of what he wants to do. His heart is to reach every individual. His word says that he doesn't desire that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. All would come to the knowledge of the truth. The great thing about God's plan, his eternal plan, one of the one of the most amazing things is, is that it's not dependent on us individually. If we don't respond to the call that he's given to us, it's not that the plan won't happen. It's just that he'll use somebody else. Another great part about that is it doesn't mean that we're excluded. I mean, we, we can be on the sidelines and we can be cheering and, and we can even be in that moment when, when those that do respond bring their crown and they lay it at his feet and we can be there applauding and cheering. But I don't know about you, I would love to be a part of that team. At Calvary Chapel surprise as we bring that crown and we place it at his feet. Bottom line is, God desires to do a great work, and he wants to use us, but will we answer? So we, we basically have a couple of choices. We can, we can either get engaged and be used by God in, in the plans that he desires for surprise, Or as Christians, we can stand on the sideline and we can cheer as God uses somebody else. The question that comes to me then, if not us, who? And the Lord has just been laying on my heart that he desires to use us. He's strategically placed us. He's brought us here for such a time as this. We're not here by accident. We're here for a purpose. We didn't choose him, he chose us. And I believe he has appointed us to bear fruit, to bear fruit that lasts here in Surprise, to be used by him compassionately, actively, relationally, engaging Surprise, engaging the community that he has placed us in. Interesting thing about about darkness and light is that light always overcomes darkness and when we look around at the world around us then and we see it getting darker it's not the darkness's fault that it's getting darker the darkness is doing what dark does it's the light's fault if it's getting darker jesus said we're the light of the world it's up to us 
He has equipped us. He's given us everything that we need. And if we're willing to walk in that and be used by him, seeking the father, praying, his word tells us that he will give us everything that we need. We can't fail in this endeavor if we follow exactly what it is that he calls us to do. So I don't know about you, but I want to be, I want to be out there. I want to be the, I want to be on the field. I don't want to be on the sidelines. I want to be used by God in this unique time in history, in this unique place that God has put on the map at Calvary Chapel Surprise. show of hands, how many of you that are over 25 were born and raised in Surprise, Arizona? Zero. <laughs> and there, there's, there's interesting things when we look at this. I, I, when I share this with my friends about, you know, that don't live here, Surprise, Arizona, I said, yeah, when we first moved here, there was two gas stations and two grocery stores. Now we have four Walmarts. <laughs> I, it's, it's just been an amazing thing to witness. And the interesting thing when we look at this, and we understand that we serve a sovereign God, a God who, who is involved in all of the details, a God of providence, whose hand is on each of us, guiding us and directing us, who takes all of the decisions and all of the things in our lives, and he moves them together for his purposes, for his glory, and then we take a look at our own individual stories and it kind of starts to make sense a little bit when, you know, I, I look at my own story. I mean, 25 years ago, I'm in Colorado and loving living in Colorado, thinking anybody who would live in Arizona is out of their minds. It's 120 degrees and oh my goodness, I got the beautiful mountains here. I mean, it's perfect weather almost all year round. And, and then God takes me to El Paso, Texas. And I thought that that was because he was giving me an opportunity to, to advance in my company and to, and to get promoted and all of these other kind of things. But he had totally other plans. He brought me there for one reason, and that's to meet the love of my life. And we get married. We start a family. I quit that job that I thought was for the rest of my life. I quit that. We move here because the other options that we had, we were thinking about that. You know, this doesn't make sense, and this wouldn't work, and everything. And my parents had moved to Sun City West, so we moved out here to be closer to them, but also close enough to get back to El Paso, far enough away, but close enough. Um, and then to the, the rest of the story about how God took me from that to my own business and then took me out of that business and brought me here, I just look back and I see all of those things. I say, man, it's amazing to, to see how he worked in our story to get here. But if you all individually look at your own story, you could probably connect all of those things and say, man, that didn't really make a whole lot of sense, but God brought me here. And guys, he brought you here for a reason. He brought you here for a purpose. And as our stories have crossed, we also cross stories with all of these other people that God has brought here and again, for a reason, for a purpose. This, if you think about this, Surprise Arizona makes no sense. How hard is it to get to Phoenix? I mean, it's not like we're right, we're right next to Phoenix, but we're, you know, and we're hours away from the other side of town. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. But in God's economy, something's happening here. 
And it's interesting when we look at the statistics, the demographic information, when it comes to surprise, it parallels national statistics, but with one exception that really jumped out to me. You see, nationally, roughly half, 50% of the people in America consider themselves quote-unquote religious, that they are involved in, in church to some ex- extent. Here in Surprise, that number is only 40%. So we have 125,000 people that call Surprise home, but only four in 10 of them are involved in any type of, of church, any type of thing. And guys, this isn't about church, but this is about bringing Jesus to that community, to the community that God has called us to be a part of. Now, if you call Calvary Chapel Surprise your home, you might have been wondering after last week, we just finished the book of Acts, where are we going next? Well, we're going to Romans next. Should the Lord tarry long enough? But we're going to take a few weeks before we get started in that because God's really been laying on my heart something. And I want to just share it with you because this is, a, this is a family decision. We're a family and we need to come to this decision together if, if God is going to use us in, in this endeavor. So, If you would turn in your Bibles with me, we're going to take a look at a very familiar story to Luke chapter 10, verse 30 is where we'll start. Jesus has been having an an encounter with a, a lawyer, and this man had asked him some questions about how to attain eternal life, how to get to heaven. And Jesus said, what does the law say? Speaking to a lawyer and the law said, love. The lawyer said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, that's great, do that. And he said, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds again with a very familiar story, but I'd ask that even though you may know this well, would you please follow along and let's let the Let's let the Lord speak to us personally about what this means for us here today. Verse 30, Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side. But, verse 33, a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for this very real example that you give to us today. And Lord, I, I do pray that even though this is a very familiar story and we can real quickly in our minds connect the dots, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in our hearts and connect the dots there. 
to what this means for us in surprise day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we see here again a familiar story, a parable that Jesus tells, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You don't have to even be a part of church to probably have heard the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we see the, the, the players, if you would, as we look at them, we see a man who is on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. An unnamed man could be any man. We see that he falls upon robbers, and that word there means those who, ta- who, who come upon him, who overtake him, who exploit him, who take everything from him, leaving him half dead along the side of the road. And then we also see a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walking along the road, and that sounds like the beginning of a really bad joke, <laughs> but we see these three men, but we see how they interact with him. And a parable, as we've talked many times when we studied through the the Gospel of Matthew, is something that Jesus used often and rabbis used still to this day when they are teaching their students. They are stories that, that, that... aren't real stories, but they are, they are stories that things that every day anybody could relate to. Everyday experiences that people could say, okay, I get that. But they carry with them a heavenly or eternal meaning. And so when we back away from this and, and take it out of the story context and say, okay, what does that mean? How do we take that and apply that today to us Again, as I'm praying through this and thinking through this, guys, that man that is on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is any man, is any person. That can represent anyone who is on a journey through life, from from the moment of their birth to the moment of their death. And they come across robbers. They come across those things in their life which are everywhere, which is everywhere in the world that would rob them, that would take from them, that would exploit them, that would leave them after they've used them and abused them along the side of the road. And guys, there's no doubt that as as a picture of the world that we live in, that is everywhere. Because the ruler, the prince of this world, still Satan, is a liar and a murderer. And Jesus said he came to steal, kill, and destroy. And the the spiritual forces that are around us, the dark spiritual forces, that is their desire for everyone to steal, kill, and destroy. But then we're introduced to three men here that walk by and they see this man on the side of the road. And it's interesting how they react. But before we, we look at that, I think it's important that we understand something because It says, by chance, I think that's interesting, by chance, this Levite walked by, this priest walked by, by chance. And I almost wonder, as Jesus said that, if he didn't have a little smirk, by chance. Because, guys, we understand that nothing is by chance. There's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as karma. There's no such thing as chance. We serve a sovereign God. And as we begin this, we need to understand this part of this because this sovereign God has a prevailing will that nothing can alter, nothing can change, nothing can stop. And guys, that should bring every one of us almost to our feet praising him because guys, that means our salvation is assured. The finished work of Jesus on the cross 
Nothing can stop that. Nothing, nothing can thwart that. His sovereign will, he is in control. All of the things that we look around and we see the world going crazy, we see the world going nuts, God is still on the throne. He is still in control. His sovereign prevailing will stands. But there is a mystery that we cannot fully engage and understand as human beings, and that is in his prevailing will, he also has a permissive will that he allows us as human beings to have a free will, to have our own, to make our own choices. He gives us opportunity. He shares his word with us. He tells us his law, his commands, and then he gives us the choice as to whether we will respond or not. Now, some people that really wrestle with that and they, they say, well, it has to be one or the other. Well, see, in our puny little minds, you might go there, but God's mind is way bigger. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 tells us his thoughts are so much higher than ours. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways and his thoughts above our ways and our thoughts. In God's economy, it fits perfectly his sovereign prevailing will and the free will that he gives us, his permissive will. Now, the beautiful part about the fact, and I mentioned that in the, in the video there, the beautiful part about it is that if he gives us an opportunity and we decline, it does not stop his sovereign will. We can't stop what God has planned to do. I, that brings me comfort too. I go, <laughs> But his prevailing will mixed with his, his permissive will for us. But guys, here's the thing. Each one of us, every single one of us, he has a personal will for. Personally, for every one of us. His word tells us in Ephesians 2, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. He has a personal will for us. He has, you are his creation. You are his work of art. And he has, in his sovereignty, laid out a path for you. But it is not just because he lays it out for us that we then automatically were, you know, pre-programmed to walk in that. Again, we have a choice. That is why also when, when the Bible speaks of our walk, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that's been given to us. We are to walk circumspectly. We are to be careful how we walk. So we see as these three men now pass by the, this, this man beaten, left for dead on the side of the road, we see pass by and notice something in here, something that is similar or the exact same actually with all three of them, they all saw him. None of them could say I never saw him. None of them could say I didn't have that opportunity. I walked right, I, di I didn't see him. It says that they all saw him. However, we understand that there are different ways to see, don't we? We understand that there are, are different things when we, when we talk of seeing. But it's not just what we see, guys. It's how we see. It's the, the lens, if you would, that we look through to see an object that is just as important as what we see there, what the object itself is. I mean, I could, I could, right now, I could take these glasses off. I could give them to somebody else. And just by doing that, you guys look totally different. 
You're still there, but you look really different. Put the lenses on, it changes. So it's not just seeing. And, and many times we can walk right by and we can see and not see, right? We get that, that, that person that is there, that situation that is there, we can look right at it, go right by it, and totally miss it. And we don't know the reasons why specifically. Jesus doesn't go into great detail about why the Levite and the priest, though they saw the man, they went on by. There's been a lot of commentaries that said, well, that's because of this and all these other kinds of things, but we don't know exactly why. There could be a myriad of reasons. Could be, I'm in a hurry. I need to get somewhere, and this would, this would be a very big inconvenience for me. It could be, you know, just the, the heart that going by, well, man, he must have he deserved that. It's not my fault. It's not my fault he's in that condition. This is a busy road. There'll probably be somebody else coming along by. Somebody else can take care of him. We don't know. But we do know that there was one, the Samaritan, when he came by, he reacted differently, though he saw the same situation. And what I want to point out is the difference that it tells us about this man. It tells us a lens, if you would, that he looked through. And we see the same thing in Jesus as it's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. It says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. First of all, note that Jesus was going through the cities and the villages. He didn't isolate himself. He didn't pull himself back. He didn't say, well, if they need something, they'll come to me. Jesus went out. He was in the cities. He was in the villages. He was engaging the people that were around him. But notice it didn't just stop with engaging them. It tells us again that he saw the people and notice he felt compassion for them. And that's where I want to spend the time today looking at this because this is the vital first step in our family decision as to whether we're going to go forward with this. And that is to be able to see compassionately. Because it's very different than having pity. It's very different than even being just sympathetic towards someone. To have compassion, guys, makes us emotionally vulnerable in the situation because the definition of compassion is to be sympathetically conscious to something with a desire to alleviate it. It's not just feeling sorry about something. It also pairs with it the desire to fix the problem. Now, I want to teach you a little Greek this morning. The word for compassion is splonknitsomai. So go ahead and say that. Splonknitsomai. Okay, splonknitsomai. Now you can go tell somebody today, later on, you can say, I learned a little Greek today. Splonknitsomai. And they could say, what is that? And they say, well, it's something my pastor told me I should have. And they're like, no thanks. <laughs> I don't want any of that. That sounds... That... But guys, that... compassion... Compassion, again, it's so important that we understand this because it's easy for us to feel sorry for somebody. 
It's easy for us to have pity, saying, man, I really hope that situation changes for them. But compassion goes the next step and says, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to invest myself into fixing the problem that they have. And guys, when we really think about it, isn't Jesus that perfect example of compassion? When he looked upon us, all of us in our sinful condition, our totally lost state, and he then chose, feeling not only understanding that we couldn't save ourselves, and because of that, then he stepped into our situation and he took care of it. He suffered and died on our behalf to pay our sin debt. That is the ultimate example of compassion. But while he was here, we see it demonstrated in his very, in his very walk, in his very life. This word that is used, splonknitzomai, 11 times in the New Testament, twice in parables. One time, somebody was asking Jesus to have compassion, but the eight other times described Jesus. It says that he looked upon them and he had compassion for them. It was part of his very nature, who he was. And guys, by, just by way of just jumping off the side of the road here for just a second, it's no coincidence that it is Compassion Weekend. I didn't plan that. And neither did the people outside in the tent. God did. And those, that video that you saw earlier as Pastor Don was making that announcement about all of those children and all of the people that are facing that, compassion says, goes beyond saying, man, that's too bad, to saying, I'm going to do something about it. And you can do something about it today. Stop by the table afterwards, and you can be paired up with a child that, that, that needs compassion, needs more than somebody that just says, man, I feel sorry for them. Somebody says, I'm going to do something about it. Compassion, all it requires is a little money every month that you send to help take care of it and a little bit of your time as you write a letter to that child and encourage them. Our family has sponsored two compassion children for years, and it's been a blessing. Mentioned, Don mentioned uh, Jeff Talbot earlier. He and Patty, they, they started sponsoring a compassion child about 20 years ago. And working through the entire process, eventually they reach an age where they're no longer, they're out of the system, if you would. They have kept in touch with him. This, this man, his name is Vincana. They refer to, he refers to them as mom and dad. He is now in full-time ministry in India. And we as a church support him. Through that, through that connection, this is a lifelong thing. And you could, be, you could have that. That's compassion. That is seeing the situation and not just feeling sorry about it, but getting involved in doing something about it. Jesus, as, he, as we see here, it says he felt compassion, and it uses the word because. It tells us that he was able with compassion to look past the condition to the cause. We see the condition. We see what they were. He says they were distressed. They were dispirited. Those words, that distressed words, means they were afflicted. They were weary. They were tormented, harassed. We look around the world and we see that everywhere. People buy into the lies of the world that if you do this, follow this, chase after this, this is where you'll find happiness. This is where you'll find fulfillment. This is where you'll find everything that you're looking for. But when they do that, the world strips them, robs them, beats them, and leaves them half dead on the side of the road, distressed. 
dispirited. Literally, that word means to be thrown down to the point of giving up, depressed. Jesus saw that, but it says, notice next, he says, like sheep without a shepherd. That's the problem. They're sheep without a shepherd. I've mentioned this several times before, but it bears repeating. We are referred to in the Bible over and over and over as sheep. And it's not because we're just so cute. It is because we are desperately in need of a shepherd. Sheep cannot survive in the wild without a shepherd. Did you know that? There's no such thing as a wild sheep. All sheep need a shepherd. And Jesus said in in John 10, as I mentioned before, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In John 10, Jesus refers to the fact that there will be those that try to jump in the sheepfold from outside, and their goal only is to steal, kill, and destroy. In the world, they might play a good game. These people that we come in contact with everywhere around us, you ask them just on the surface, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine, I'm great. But deep down, they're distressed. They're dispirited. They're facing all of the same things that everybody else does, yet without a shepherd. They keep chasing after and going after all of these different things. They try drugs, they try alcohol, they try living however promiscuous lifestyle trying to chase after some, some sort of satisfaction in everything else, and it always falls short, guys. The problem is they don't have a shepherd. It's amazing when we look at, and I just did a little bit of, of looking at this over the last couple of days, but the statistics for depression in the United States, if you look at the graph, It's like this over the last 80 years. And that's with all of the advances in medicine. That's with all of the, the advance, all of the entertainment that's available, all of the different ways that you can, you can lose yourself in reality TV and all of this, all the virtual reality this and all of this other kind of stuff still rising and rising because those aren't the answers. The answer is Jesus. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That is a problem from the sovereign or a promise from the sovereign king of the universe. You come to me, I will give you rest. Now, he may chew. There, 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 are there are certainly benefits from medication and different things like that. But if without Jesus, any of those things are used, it is temporary at best. Jesus is the answer. So when we, when we look at this, and I, we bring this together as our, our first point that I want to look at over the next couple of weeks. How do we see the people that are around us? Not, not here, <laughs> but out there. The people that we come in contact with every day, the people that we drive by every day, the people that we in, encounter every day as we move through the city, the village, do we see them as just, just another person to move by? 
Do we see someone in an obvious difficult situation and we say, you know what? I don't have time to deal with that. I'm late to the, I got to get to the gym. Do we look at that person on the side of the road that's holding the sign and we say, well, that's based on their own decisions. That's their own problem. They made those choices. You know, I mentioned that twice, that word for compassion, twice that was used in parables. One is the parable we're looking at. You know what the, the other one was? The parable of the prodigal son. The one who made the bad choices. The one who got what he deserved when he went out. But when he came back, it said the father looked on him with compassion and ran out and met him. That's how Jesus sees that person. That we might say, you know what? They deserve that. That's, that's their own choices. That's, that's, the, that's the life they chose. Guys, how are we going to see? What lenses are we going to look through when we see the people that are around us? Again, the choice, it's given to us. It's a choice that we have. Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 14 says, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Put them on. Put on a heart of compassion. Put on a heart of humility. When we put on a heart of compassion, that will lead to kindness. That is the act. When we look through the heart of compassion, and we're going we're gonna to look at that next week, Lord willing. The, first of all, compassionately. Next week, actively. If we make this choice that this is what we desire, then we move on to the next. But compassionately. Looking with a heart of compassion. You know, the story is told of, of Mother Teresa one time when she was, when she was laying in a gutter next to this, this man and she was cleaning the maggots out of an open wound on his arm. And a reporter said, I wouldn't do what you do for a million dollars. And she looked at him and she said, neither would I. Because it was compassion that drove her to do that compassion, a heart of compassion that leads to the action of kindness. It's from a heart of humility that leads to the act of gentleness. Paul writes in Philippians chapter two, with humility, put others needs above your own. But those are things guys that we have to choose to note. He says, put on. It's a choice that we have to make. The, the garment is there. The glasses are there. The heart is available to us, but we have to put it on. The idea behind, again, all of this, and we'll look at this a little bit more next week, but, but what would I want somebody to do for me if I was in that situation? How would I want somebody to care for me if I was right there? And then act on that. And it's interesting that he says to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and he follows it with patience. Because, guys, it's going to take patience. Because 
a lot of times, as if we're willing to step out into this, our initial, our initial investment is not going to re- respond with, a, with, a re- with an immediate response. We're not going to get an ROI immediately, a return on the investment necessarily. So it's going to take patience. Finally, Paul, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, Chapter one, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. I come with this verse because the Lord is speaking to me in this. If we're going to pray this, we need to be ready for God to respond. And when we are given that heart of compassion, we're going to be exposed to things that it would be easy for us to say, I can't help there because I've never experienced that. I haven't, been, I haven't been through that so I can feel sorry for you, but I can't get invested in that situation because I don't know how to help you. Notice what it says here. If we can put that verse back up again. He says, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Guys, we know this as Christians. We know this as born-again believers that he is the God of comfort, that he gives us comfort in our time of need. And that verse tells us that he gives us not only to comfort us, not only to be a benefit to us, but that we can be a benefit to others in any situation that they're in. Well, I mentioned, we talked of this, that Jesus, he was going through the cities, villages, healing their diseases, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed, dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. It goes on to say, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Here's what we do, guys, because the harvest is still plentiful and the workers are still few. As I mentioned, 60% of the people around us are going through struggles and trials in their life, and they say they're open, they admit it themselves. I don't have any connection with anything. I don't have a place where I can go that can really solve this problem. So the, we don't have to go hunting for harvest fields. They're all around us. You live right in the middle of one. You shop right in the middle of one. You drive down the street in the middle of one. But the problem is still there, too, that the workers are few. That hasn't changed. The solution's still the same too. It says, pray, pray. And so that's what I'm gonna ask us all to do, that we pray. We pray that God would raise up workers in surprise for the harvest that I believe he desires to do, that he desires to have. But as we're praying, didn't, what, did, what is one of the things that Jesus taught us when he, his disciples said, teach us how to pray? Didn't Jesus say, pray, your will be done, right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Do you know one of the things that we, I can stand on the word of God that says, uh, Romans 8.29 tells us one of the things of God's will for you as a Christian. If you are a Christian, a born again believer in here today, I know what God's will is for you because it says in Romans 8.29 that you be conformed to the image of his son. And like I said, part of the image of Jesus is a heart of compassion. So as we pray, and I'm, just, I'm going to put it all out here because Jesus tells us to count the cost, right? I'm going to ask you as we pray, and this is, it's an in, this is an individual decision that we're going to come together corporately and decide family decision time. But are you willing to pray that prayer? God, your will be done. Conform me into the image of Jesus. Give me a heart of compassion. I will tell you, that's a, that's a scary prayer because, again, what we're saying is, God, make me emotionally vulnerable. Make me vulnerable. Make, make me want to get involved to fix the problem. But I believe if we do, he's going to use us for something amazing. I don't know. I, I don't know what that exactly looks like but I do know he wants to do it. So would you please stand? And we're going to pray, and then we're going to worship, and I would ask that during this time of worship that you just let the Holy Spirit work in your heart. And if God is calling you to a, a deeper relationship with him, an all-in type of thing with this that, you're, that is saying, okay, this is what I desire. I want your will in my life, and, and he is moving you in that. Respond to that. There's, there's spots up here open. We, we leave this open up front for a reason, so if you want to come up and you want to come and kneel, you want to, however it is that you might want to respond, you can certainly do respond at your seat, but if you want to come forward, this is here for you. But I also want to invite anyone Perhaps the Lord is, is working on your heart today that you're, you are a prodigal. Maybe you've walked away and the Lord is calling you back today. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I, I'd like to invite you to come up. We'll have our, our elders and in, in prayer group up under the screens. If, you, if that is you, would you come up under the screens so we can, we can pray for you? Also, again, we have, we have compassion. So if you are in, have a situation on in your life and you need prayer, we want to pray with you. So please come up during this time as well if you need prayer. But let's, let's go before the Lord and let's just be honest with him. And if, if he's calling you to this, let's respond. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, first of all, we thank you for the compassion that you had for us. That you looked upon us in our absolute state of desperation. We lost in our sin, slaves to sin and death, with no way to free ourselves. And you chose to do something about it. You chose to come, to be one of us, to give your life in exchange for ours, to redeem us, to wash us clean, to restore that severed relationship with you. Lord, our desire is to have your heart 
want to have your eyes, Jesus. Would you allow us to see as you see? To see those individuals that we come in contact with every day through your eyes, through your lenses, with your heart. Lord Jesus, break our hearts for what break yours. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just do a work amongst us now. In Jesus' name.